Oh, sure. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. I am one of your co-hosts, Rob Clark. Our other co-host, Ed Katz, is on the other line. How are you doing, Ed? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for asking. I hope you're having a great day. <sighs> having a great day, as always. I'm, I'm above the dirt, so I feel good. Good for you. <laughs> hey, this is episode five. We have uh, been going strong with our podcast. I'm really enjoying doing this and uh, just can't believe that we're already on episode five. I agree with you 100%. I'm loving this. Yeah, we're sharing, I think, some really good information, and I hope it gets people engaged in, in starting to think about how they're doing commercial relocations, or if they're not doing it and they're trying to get into it, uh, this will kind of you know get them curious to check out a little bit more information on the International Office Moving Institute and really dig into what your processes and your, your practices are and how, how great they are, and hopefully it will drive a little business your way. That's that's the goal is to thank to you. Get it. Thanks for the commercial. Yeah. Thank you for the commercial. I'm yeah. old. I'm on a fixed income and I need the money. Please sign up for our <laughs> online training. Well, the, uh, the topic for today's podcast is how to become uniquely known for solving your customers' worst nightmares and problems. So, I can only imagine with the years of experience that you have in the industry that you've, you've seen some, I mean, I can think off the top of my head, a couple of situations that were, I would describe as nightmares, but I'm assuming you, you have a few that I probably wouldn't have even thought of. So I'm, I'm curious to hear what those are and how you overcome them. Well, they say adversity builds character. And all I can tell you is I've been accused of being a big character because I've overcome a lot of adversity, a lot of adversity in our industry. <laughs> and when I think about nightmares, uh, it, it's for your customers, but your customers in, you started in the Atlanta market, uh, they didn't have a lot of choice when it came to real high quality uh, office movers. I think if I remember right, you didn't have much competition in that market when you started your company. As a stroke of luck, I started at the perfect time because uh, there was virtually no competition for office moving in Atlanta in 1976 when I started Peachtree Movers because office moving was viewed as the stepchild for the moving industry. The household good players, Beacons Allied, North American Mayflower, they were not in business to be office movers and they only used it as fill-in business. So during their busy season, they didn't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. So that made it easy for us. And then in the winter when they were slow, they had trouble getting their crews to work nights, weekends, and holidays. So again, it gave us a great opportunity to ride the crest of the growth of the Atlanta commercial market. And for the first four years, our business just, just took off. Well, that's, that's great. So let me ask you this. If everything failed, Ed, what did you do? Well, everything sailed until one day I call this moving company Goliath. One day I woke up and there in Atlanta was a moving company that was headquartered, I believe, in New Jersey. And they decided to open up a branch 
in Atlanta. And all they did was local office moving, just like us. But we couldn't compete. Overnight, I lost my market share. Overnight, we lost our great reputation because, well, they, were, had, a, they had a better reputation. They had way more experience. They knew a lot more about office moving than I did at the time. And they were 10% cheaper. So why use second best when you can hire the best for 10% less? What, so, what I got to ask, was Goliath really the name of the moving company or is that it? No, it was okay. called Neptune. Okay. So there is that, <laughs> there is that play on words because they were the, the big, you know, David and Goliath there. Yeah, I was okay. David and they were Goliath and they were so much better than we were. I mean, and, and they had so much, their equipment, they had 30 foot long flat trailers. I think they called them pup trailers. We owned, I don't know, 54 wheel dollies. They owned a thousand. We had 10 regular part-time movers. They probably had 50 to a hundred. Wow. My claim to fame at the time was we moved a large company that you know, had 16 truckloads. This same company moves, moves Sears into their headquarters in Chicago. Can you imagine how large that move was? And they had a stellar reputation. So overnight, um, everything I tried failed. And I don't know, I was desperate. So I started advertising on the radio. Well, that cost me a lot of money and achieved nothing. I mean, it was a total waste of time. We uh, had flyers printed up. And we would go door to door in office buildings and deliver flyers advertising our service and inviting prospects to have a free estimate with us. And they didn't. And we just didn't know what to do. We did, we did magazine and, and, and newspaper advertising. Nothing was successful in keeping our market share. I've so, got to ask you a question, though. When I think about that time period those years ago, I remember me getting into the industry in, in the early 90s, it was still big to be in the yellow pages. Was that something you still did? Uh, can you hold that thought? Okay. We'll come back to that. You gotcha. That, please remember that. It's a great question. Okay. Let me tell you what happened because, you know, they say desperate people do desperate things. Let me tell you, I, had, I uh, became very, very religious at the time. Uh-oh. Started really believing in the power of prayer, and I was so desperate. You can call it a coincidence or divine intervention, but I was so desperate. I started doing something I had never done before. And that was, I started listening to the customer. And I always, when I would do estimates, uh, I often heard a customer would say, hey, we're just moving six miles down the road. Do I have to empty my lateral file cabinets? And of course, I like all the other movers said, yes, of course you do. Or, hey, we're moving from one side of the floor to the other, or one floor to the other. Do we have to empty our desks? And I thought to myself, boy, you're lazy. It's not like you move every day. Of course you have to empty your desks. Well, I had heard that for the first four years I was in business, but my answer was always the same. Yes, you need to totally empty and pack the contents of all the drawers in your lateral file cabinet, and of course, empty your desks. But now that I was desperate, and I had, I guess, an open mind, I heard the same requests or complaints or nightmares. And I started listening and I asked myself, maybe there's, maybe there's something more than I realize here. And so I spent the next year 
of not just losing my market share, but trying to listen to the customer and come up with a solution to what was perceived by them to be a major problem, a major nightmare, because when they set their office back up at the new location, at the destination, their files would be mixed up or lost. They couldn't find them when they needed them in their lateral file cabinets. When they were forced to empty and pack the contents of their desks, that means they had at least one day before the move where they were totally out of business, but their overhead continued and they had no revenue. And their employees dilly-dallied and took their good old time packing up the contents of their furniture and their desks and their lateral file cabinets. And so they were out of business a day before the move and they were out of business a day after the move. Isn't that terrible? So here they were. Their perceived worst nightmare or problem was they were out of business a day before the move and out of business a day after the move. And then when they needed to access or locate a file, often after the move, they couldn't find it because whoever refiled it mixed up their files. And of course, they would think, oh my God, it's lost. So that was their perceived worst nightmare and problem. So I had heard this for years, for the four years I was in business, I kept hearing, do we have to empty and pack the contents of all our furniture? And I, like everyone else, said yes. But now that I was desperate, now that Goliath had come to Atlanta and taken over the market, and rightly so, I was in my survival mode. I had to figure out a way of getting my customers back and, and getting my market share back. So I started for the first time listening to the customer and I came up with the idea. I became very re religious. I'm confessing very religious, very spiritual. And maybe it was divine intervention, or maybe it was a coincidence, or maybe it was both. But I came up with the concept, concept of the boxless move. And what I meant by that was this. Instead of emptying the contents of their desks, I came up with an invention called the Space Gobbler. It was a miniature waterbed, but instead of putting water in it, we inflated it with air. And it was the size of a pillowcase. And we told our clients, you don't have to empty your desk. You can work right up until the time our movers arrive because we're going to inflate airbags inside your desk drawers. And of course, they're reusable. And we would fold this PVC bag that was a miniature waterbed with a stem valve on it um, over the contents of their drawers, close the drawer except for the little stem of the valve sticking out, inflate it with air, which filled, which filled up the void or the empty space in the drawer so that when we close the drawer and we tip the desk up on its end to get it through a doorway or onto the elevator, nothing moved around and nothing fell out. So we had the boxless move for the desk. For the lateral file cabinets, I found out through research that the reason you couldn't move a lateral file cabinet full safely was because you had to tip it to get it onto a four-wheel dolly. And there's no frame inside of a lateral file cabinet. It's, it's like an eggshell. It's like unibody construction. There's no frame. And when you tip them, they can rack or torque or bend. And then when you set them right side up again, the drawers are not even anymore. So every time you open and close a drawer, it sticks or it rubs. So I came up with a device called the spider crane, which were two giant suction cups that we lowered over the top of a cabinet. And we used a device that looked like an engine hoist. And we would have these 14 inch diameter cups over the top of the cabinet. 
was a vacuum pump. And we used what looked like a miniature crane, a little engine hoist type device. And we lowered that over the cabinet, turned on the vacuum pump, created a vacuum. And then we would raise the boom of this device and lift the cabinet six inches off the floor and place a special steel low gravity dolly underneath the cabinet, and lower the cabinet back onto the dolly and move it loaded right side up without ever tipping it, torquing it, racking it or bending it. So we move the contents in the lateral file cabinet and the contents in the desk, called it the boxless move. Well, overnight, we became a market sensation. I mean, look at the time and money they save by not shutting down a day before the move and not being closed the day after the move. They could still really stay operating and, and continue their business and continue getting revenue and profits by moving with us. And of course, we had to charge extra to use these devices, but the extra charge was way offset by the downtime they saved. And because everything stayed in the drawers, we guaranteed no mixed up and no lost files. So here at the time we branded our service and that's really what I call branding. I didn't know it, there was no such word as branding back in the days, but when you become uniquely known for for solving your customers worst problems and worst nightmares that's called branding and here we branded our service and we were the only one the only moving company in atlanta that offered the boxless move where we moved the contents in the furniture instead of the contents and the furniture and that's how we listen to our customers so what's your advice, Ed, for people who, you know, how do they figure out in their market what they need to do to be able to solve those problems in their market for their clients? If I had a moving company today and I wanted to differentiate myself and I had a dialogue with my prospects and my clients, I'd be constantly asking them, in addition to a competitive price, what else is something that you're worried about. What are your worst problems? What are your nice, your worst nightmares? You know, Rob, at your company, CDM360, you've told me in the past, I think in module number one, all the different bells and whistles you offer as differentiators during this pandemic. And, you know, it wasn't that you fell out of bed one day, hit your head on the floor and said, oh, we're gonna do all these steps before we go out and service our client to minimize the risk of contaminating them or exposing them to COVID. You listen to your, to your clients and these were real perceived needs on their part. So, I mean, you've been doing it all along and I would be asking daily with an open mind, maybe it's, it's not just, it's not just a physical move. Maybe it has something to do with signage. Maybe it has something to do with, space planning, maybe it has something to do with liquidating furniture. Um, but if you become a trustworthy resource, then your customers will be loyal to you and shop looking for more than just price. They're gonna look for somebody that can make them feel warm and fuzzy. Yeah, I think there was, there's always two things that I, I always, uh, well, two things that I, I, one was a book that I just love and I always reference, which was Who Moved My Cheese? You know, you got to continue to yes. chase that cheese. Um, and the other one is the uh, the saying that if, if you're not changing, you will get left behind. And uh, do, you, do you know the name? Does the name Bernie Marcus ring a bell to you? 
does not. Bernie Marcus founded Home Depot, and it started in Atlanta. Actually, it okay. started five miles from where I lived. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. Here's a fellow that, well, back when I started Peachtree Movers, when I first moved to Atlanta, I remember going into 85 Lumber. I think that's what it was called at the time. And you have to understand, there was only one place in Atlanta where you could buy hardware, supplies, like lumber, press board, sheetrock, building supplies. And that was 85 Lumber. And I'll never forget this. The poor guy who was stocking the shelves was the same guy that waited on you. So here, I don't know anything about lumber or wood or press board or anything. And I have to go and ask this guy who's loading inventory onto the shelves. Hey, can you help me out and tell me what I need? Well, he had a full-time job stocking shelves. He didn't want to be bothered with a customer. So he most of the time intimidated people like me. And if you were a woman, you never went into an 85 lumber to go and try to get help because nobody was there to help you. That was the business model nationwide, probably worldwide for the lumber industry. Well, somehow Bernie Marcus, who was a genius, a creative genius, saw an opportunity here. He listened to the customers that shopped at lumber stores like the one I just described. Maybe he experienced that firsthand himself too. And he thought, boy, if I could add customer service along with product and offer it at a competitive price, we might be able to brand our service and become uniquely known for solving our customers' worst problems and nightmares. And overnight, I'll never forget this, he opened up his first store on Buford Highway just outside 285. I think it was a former, it was called Fillmore Drugstore. It was not even that big of a store. They went out of business. He took over the lease and put a Home Depot in there. And the parking lot was filled overnight. And you had to wait sometimes to go in, not because of COVID, but because so many people beat a path to his door. And then he opened more and then he opened more. And the rest is history. But here is somebody who, it wasn't that he sold price, he sold service. And that's the takeaway from all this. It's not just the moving industry, it's every and any industry listening to the customers. Sure, they want to compare to the price. Nobody wants to be taken for granted. Nobody wants to be taken advantage of. So price is always on the radar screen. But it doesn't have to be the only item on the radar screen. You service people, you give them what they're looking for, especially if it's a nightmare or a problem as it was with me and I'm sure many housewives and probably a lot of other guys that were intimidated. Look how it resulted in the success of Home Depot and of course Lowe's and, and um, just the way it is. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, I, that, this is a short episode, but I think there's some great information in what we just talked about. And, uh, you know, trying to listen to your client and be creative and trying to find solutions for the problems that they have. I agree. One it. other thing, when I, yeah. own, when I own pastry movers, we found that another perceived need was when we did uh, modular furniture moves. A lot of times the panels were reconfigured differently than they were at the old location. So there'd be stains on them. So for $1,300, I think it was called Steam X or something like that. We bought a, an upholstery cleaner filled with water. It boiled the water, made steam, and we used what looked like a 
vacuum, but it, it would shoot a spray and then you could with a, you know, a cleaner a solvent and we would spray clean these um, panels for them and charge like $10 per panel. And we didn't clean the whole panel. We'd only clean where there was a stain or a smudge or whatever. They loved it. Added services. If we did a modular furniture move, we'd say, hey, by the way, if you like, we can check every drawer and every box file and make sure there's nothing spoiled in there, like an old sandwich or an apple or whatever, clean it out, wipe it down, wipe down the work surfaces, clean them so that when your employees go to work the next working day, they're going to go into a clean, refreshed, smelling, non-contaminated work environment. And we would, of course, charge per hour for that and charge for the cleaning material. So these are add-on services that, what else? Is there anything else you need that we can do with our own labor or outsource? Let us know. Yeah, and, and that's kind of how our company was developed is we had clients asking for additional services other than the relocation. And, and we just tried to figure out a way, can we you know, develop and get the staff to provide those services? And over you know, 13 years, we've been able to do that. And now we, we provide a lot of the different services for our clients, our corporate clients, and they love it because, you know, if you think about the person who's tasked with uh, a relocation in a corporate environment, they're, they're not hired just for that task. You know, they're either the office manager or they have some other role in the organization that now has been added to that role, the management of a, a major relocation for a company. And if we could streamline the services that they need to one vendor versus her having or him having to call eight or nine vendors, then we've just made ourselves more valuable to the client. And, uh, you know, we've always recognized that uh, different services within a relocation don't always talk to each other. So we can have issues and problems that if we don't communicate, that can arise and, and cause, you know, more disruption to, you know, being able to get back up and running on time. And so with us providing most of those services, we can control that communication and make sure that we do things in the order that needs to be done to make sure things go as efficiently as possible. So that's, that's kind of what we've done at CDM 360. Yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. I think Peter and Sherry and you have written the book on listening to your customers and offering a smorgasbord of different services related to the relocation or related to the physical move. So kudos to you and, and your folks. Okay, Ed, before I let you go, we teased earlier about the yellow pages. Is that something we talk about now or is that a tease for a future episode? Oh, thank you for being young and not <laughs> having a senior moment as I just had. So yes, I want to tell you about it right now. We use the yellow pages in a negative way to sell our service. So the last thing I would say to the prospect who I was sitting next to in his conference room making my sales presentation, I'd ask him, do you happen to have the yellow page phone book? Well, we're in the conference room where there'd be a phone and he had a yellow page phone book. And in Atlanta, believe it or not, the market was so big that we had two yellow pages, A to L. And then the second book was M to Z. So the movers were at the first section. So I would open up the yellow pages moving the moving companies section in the yellow pages. And I was showing them, you see these big full page ads, by the way, there were 36 pages of movers. I'm not kidding you. 36 pages of movers in the yellow pages. 
and I would start flipping through the first five or 10 pages. And I say, see these full page ads? And he said, yeah. I said, those moving companies are paying $100,000 a year to be in the yellow pages with a full page ad. If you see color on the ad or pictures or whatever, multicolor, it costs even more. And how about the neighborhood yellow pages? They have to pay the yellow pages in addition to the neighborhood yellow pages too. May I please show you my ad? Yeah, well, I would like to see your ad. I go through all 36 pages. The last page of the moving company section, moving industry section, would be our ad. And our ad was, it just said in light font, not bold font, because they wanted to charge me $75 if I put bold font. So in, in light font, not bold, it said peace removers and a phone number. And I said, there's our ad, which is free. It didn't cost us anything. And here's the question I have for you, Mr. Prospect. If our competition enjoyed the same reputation that we have, would they be spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on yellow page ads? You see, we get our business from referrals or from repeat business. So we don't have to pay that money to the yellow page company for advertising. How do you like that for using the yellow pages? Yeah, I think it's great. Um, the only thing I'm chuckling at, you know what it is, right, Ed? Do you have an idea? No more yellow pages. No yeah, more yellow pages. All these young professionals that are in their 30s going, what in the world is he talking about yellow pages? I know. <laughs> but, but for I us old folks, you know, a, yeah, that was the big way to yeah, advertise but I wanted, back in the day. The example, though, it's the substance of the example is that it's a differentiator, yes. not to follow the followers. Everybody else had big yellow page ads that, to show their credibility. We use it against them. Yeah, I can tell you CDM 360 uh, never paid for any advertising or Google pay for click. It was what you just described. It was uh, word of mouth uh, from referrals from other clients or repeat business. And, and we yeah, I agree. got a lot of business that way. So, Well, Ed, this has been a lot of fun. Me too. I hope our listeners got value from it. I hope so too. Well, thanks everybody for listening to this episode of Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. And until our next episode... Go sell another move. 